The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, but to set the context, I'll read verses 1 through 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For we were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word now, Lord, we need the Spirit of God, Lord, working among us and moving among us to take the words that we hear, the truth that is proclaimed, and to drive it into our own hearts, to believe it, uh, Lord, to live it, and to glorify you because of it. And so, Lord, as we look at light and darkness and what it means to expose it, I pray that you would touch our hearts and move us to to want to be the, the Christian you want us to be for the glory of Christ and his name. Amen. Well, wouldn't it be nice if the moment Jesus saved you, he took you smack into glory, boom, you're in. Wouldn't it be nice once you became a new creation in Christ, uh, you could have bypassed living in this sin-cursed world and gone straight to paradise to be with Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice not to have to deal with the world that's under the sway of the wicked one, that is under the power of the prince of darkness and who does the deeds of darkness? Wouldn't it be nice uh, now that we are light, to forever be away from the darkness? And wouldn't it be nice to be done with temptations and persecutions and suffering and, and all the evil that abounds all around us? Wouldn't it be nice to be in a place where everybody loved and served Jesus as their Lord and King, and because of that, everybody loved everybody else? Well, it will be nice one day. That's not the Lord's will for us when he saved us. When Jesus prayed for his disciples the night that he was crucified, he prayed this in John 17, 15. He said, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So I don't pray you take them immediately to glory, but rather that you you glorify yourself through them as they live as light in the darkness. 
right, that they would shine for you as lights in a dark world. And Paul said in Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 9, that we are light, but we were once indeed darkness. And not that we were just in the dark. He says we were darkness. It was part of us. But now by the amazing grace and mercy of God, we are light in the Lord. And since we are light in the Lord, we need to walk in the light. We need to beam that light wherever the Lord puts us. And the fruit that will come from the light that is in us, he says, will be goodness, righteousness, and truth. Well, in verses 11 to 14, Paul will give more insight as to what it means to walk in the light and how to deal with the darkness. And that's what I'd like to consider today using a two-point outline. And the first point is we should expose darkness. And secondly, why we should expose darkness. We should expose darkness. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 again. And he says, I have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Well, Paul has just said that we were once darkness and now we're light in the Lord, so we need to walk as children of light. Now he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And have no fellowship is similar to verse 7 where he said, therefore do not be partakers with them. But, but there is a difference between having fellowship and being a partaker. To be a partaker means to do what they do. And that would be what he told them not to do in verses 3 to 5, not to do those things anymore, which were to commit fornication, uncleanness, filthy talk, foolish talk, and coarse jesting. Right? So therefore, keep from sexual immorality and keep from immoral speech. But to have no fellowship means not to join together with them, not to share in common with them. It means don't be unified together with them in their immorality. So fellowship means you're no longer thinking like them, right? You're, 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 you're no longer sharing the same attitude. Right? So, so to have fellowship uh, with the works of darkness is to delight in those works of darkness. Uh, it's to be an accessory to their sin, either by consent or by counsel or even by concealment. Listen, when a parent allows their grown-up child to have their boyfriend or girlfriend sleep over your house and in the same room, this is having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. When a believer allows a friend to watch pornography on their tablet or cell phone, this is having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. When a believer covers for their co-worker who is lying... This is having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Many years ago, an old family friend of ours, my wife and I, uh, wanted to come and visit us, and he was coming from another state, and he wanted to come, and he wanted to bring the girl that was now his girlfriend. Needless to say, he was married and divorced twice already, and he's like 40 years old, so he wants to come, and he wants to bring his girlfriend and stay at our house. Uh, and so my wife said, sure, you can come, but you have to sleep in different rooms. And he bucked. He said, oh, come on, Claude, I'm a 40-year-old man. And she said, and I praise her for doing this, she said, you want to sleep at our house? You sleep in different rooms, right? If you want to stay with us, you can't sleep in the same with your girlfriend. In other words, we're not going to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now notice Paul does not say, have nothing to do with unbelievers. Rather, don't do or endorse what they do. And some think Christians can't associate with unbelievers, right? that we should live in a commune uh, with only believers around us or uh, live a life separate from all other people kind of like what the Amish do. 
that we can't hang around them. We'll go places with them. We'll work with them. Uh, we'll be friends with them. But Paul's not saying that at all. What he's saying is don't be sexually immoral or unclean or use immoral speech or promote their sin just like they do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, after he tells the Corinthians to discipline a man in the church who was sleeping with his father's wife, this is what he said. He said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So if you're not to associate with anyone who is sexually immoral or covetous or an extortioner or an idolater, then you can basically associate with no one except really obedient Christians. I I mean, we could work with no one. We'd have to stay away from most of our own relatives, certainly our our extended ones, and and we really, really couldn't talk to our own neighbors. But what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is don't associate with one who calls themselves a brother or a sister and is in continual unrepentant sin. So we are to associate with the world around us. We must. How else can we follow the commands that Jesus gave in Matthew 5 to be salt to the earth and to be the light of the world? How can we do that? How can we disciple the nations unless we go to them and interact with them? And did not Jesus do this? Didn't he do this? Was he not, as Matthew eleven nineteen says, a friend of tax collectors and sinners? In Luke 5, 30, we read that the Pharisees were upset with him because he ate with tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus engaged the lost. He engaged those in the dark. He went to them. He ate with them. He taught them. But he never had fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And darkness means ignorance. They are ignorant of God. They are ignorant of his word. They are ignorant of their own spiritual condition, which, of course, is death. And they're ignorant of the wages of the sin that that is a debt before God and the judgment to come and eternal damnation. And they are ignorant of the work and the word of Christ on behalf of sinners. They are ignorant of the glorious gospel. Darkness also means to do evil, to do wickedness. And every person comes into this world in darkness as they are darkness. And they make up darkness, and darkness describes their character of life. They love darkness because they love sin. And sin is like mold. It kind of thrives and spreads in the darkness. And the works that they do are darkness. And Paul says they are unfruitful, or they bear no fruit at all. And it's like they're like an unfruitful tree, which means their works have no value. They are worthless to themselves, and they are worthless to others. In other words, they're good for nothing because they don't glorify God, nor do they advance his kingdom. Charles Hodge said this. He says, by unfruitful is meant not nearly barren or worthless, but positively evil. Listen, every unsafe person you know, no matter how kind, no matter how much they give to the poor and needy, their works are unfruitful before God. Why? Because their motive for everything they do is not for the glory of God, but for their own glory or for some other reason. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, we're told, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, do all to the glory of God. So those who are in darkness can only do unfruitful works of darkness. 
But as born-again believers, as children of God and children of light, we can and we should be fruitful. We were once darkness. And as darkness, Paul said in, in Romans 6, 20 and 21, we were slaves of sin. We were slaves of sin. And then he asked the question, he said, what fruit, what fruit did you have then in the things which you were now ashamed of? So in other words, before you were saved, what fruit came out of your unsaved life? Things you're now ashamed of, what was the fruit? There was no fruit. And of course, the answer then to Paul's thing is no fruit. We were once like Job 24.13. We were like those who rebel against the light. Right? They do not know its ways nor abide in its paths. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And it parallels what was read today in Psalm 1. That is not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, not to stand in the way of sinners, nor to sit in the seat of the scornful. So to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But it's not enough, it's not enough uh, that we don't engage them or encourage them in those unfruitful works of darkness. No, Paul says, rather, rather expose them. Expose them. And expose means to reprove, to show one his fault, to convict, to convince them by evidence. Uh, And the reality is, they need to be exposed. They need to know what they do and what they say and what they think are contrary to the very God who created them. No man will ever come to Christ unless he knows he desperately needs to come to Christ. Now the question is, how are we to expose them? And there are two ways uh, in which we expose them, and they're both necessary. We need them both. Uh, and that is by what we say, words, and how we live the life. You see, we need to tell them, we need to speak words. We need to tell them that their fornication is sin. We need to say that all sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. We need to say that lying and stealing and wrath and unrighteous anger and covetousness and bitterness and evil speaking all found in the end of Ephesians 4 is sin, and so on. John the Baptist told Herod that it was sinful for him to have his brother's wife. In John 19.11 Jesus told Pilate, he said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Meaning not only are the Jewish leaders guilty of sin for delivering me, an innocent man, over to you, but Pilate, you're guilty also of sin for condemning an innocent man. You're guilty also. The pregnant woman who is about to walk into an abortion clinic needs to know before God, abortion is murder. She needs to know it. Jesus pointed out the sin of the woman by the well in John 4 when he told her that she's already had five husbands and the man that she's with now, he's not a husband. So we need to say words. The idea that we can just live like Christians around people is enough, is not enough. Because there are many good, moral, decent kind of people out there who are faithful to their spouses, who don't do drugs, who don't go out partying, and who seem to live upright lives outwardly anyway, but inwardly they're Christless, and they have no love for God or the things of God, and they are filled with darkness and unrighteousness. Now that said, I believe what Paul is talking about in our text today is about the life. He's talking about our lives. Why? Because in verse 12, he tells us it is shameful even to speak of what they do in secret. And if what they do is in secret, then we really can't exactly know what they're doing. 
So I think exposing or reproving the unbeliever of their unfruitful works of darkness is through the life which they see. So your faithfulness to your spouse should prick them concerning their unfaithfulness. Your honesty and integrity at the job should convict them of their dishonesty and lack of integrity at it. Your kindness and tenderheartedness towards others should convict them of their bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, and all that other stuff. The point is there are people whose sin will will be exposed to them by being around you. The way you live, how you treat people, what you will and won't do will expose some people. Your truth-telling may expose them that they are a liar. Your love for men may expose their hatred and prejudice of men. Your commitment to, to doing good to others may expose their selfishness. So your quest to live a a righteous and a holy life and to walk a worthy walk may well show the unbeliever their unrighteousness and unholiness and their worthless walk. You You see, the obvious difference in how you live exposes the sin of those engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness. And of course, you need to tell them why. They need to know why. They need to hear you say what you believe and then see it. So how you care about the feelings of others and put them above yourself and are patient with those who are not so easy to be patient with says something to them. And when you'll take the hit and take the blame and take the loss for the sake of truth, well, that exposes sin. How your relationship with God is so important to you exposes their sin. And you expose them when you say no to them. No, I'm not going to go out to the to party with you guys. I want to go home to my wife and my husband. No, I don't want to look at what you're looking at on your phone. I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to hear your dirty joke. I don't want to hear it. No, I don't want to fudge my expense reports like everybody else. When I first started working at the last job, secular job I worked at, it was an ad agency, I used to go on business trips a lot. And so I went on a business trip and this woman, Marion, was my secretary with like 12 other people. She, She did a whole slew of people. And so I would come back, and I'm supposed to give her all of my receipts and stuff that I'm filled out, and I give it to her, and she puts it all together, and then she sends it in. And three months later, I get back the money. Well, she said to me, she said, don't worry, Marion takes care of her people. Marion knows how to make her people happy. And I said, what is she talking about? Well, I found out Marion fudges the numbers. What she would do is she would put put things in for you that you didn't do. Say you spent money on this and that, that you didn't spend money on. And I was like, I, I can't do that. And I, I said to Marion, I said, Marion, we can't do that. I said, what will make me happy, I said, is if you do everything fair and square. So brothers and sisters, we have the power to expose and reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, not in and of ourselves, but with Christ in us. Not, not that we're strong or perfect, but the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us to live and walk as children of light. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, We are to give them, the lost, glimpses of a better life, a purer and a cleaner life, yes, and a life in which is much more enjoyable. And truth be told, most unbelievers think the Christian life is boring, miserable, and an unhappy life. But you and I know that it is the most joyful life a person can know because we know God. We have an abundance of joy because we are living the abundant life. We have the forgiveness of sins, 
Listen, we just took the Lord's Supper. What does that remind us of? Where is our mind supposed to go? As the pastor said, just reminds us of what was done for us. Did we deserve any of it? Absolutely not. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd all be in hell today. But Christ took the hell for us. So we have forgiveness of sins. We have a love relationship with the triune God and the fruit of his very spirit. And we have fellowship with the saints. And we have a place prepared for us in glory and so on. Therefore, we, we, we live life with a great expectation and a soon-to-be-realized hope. And we're not, just, we're not just living the good life, but we're living the great life because we are children of the one who is great and the one who is greatly to be praised. So we expose the darkness by our lives. But if we're no different in our thinking or in our behavior, then the world around us... Uh, they will not have their deeds of darkness exposed to them. If we look and sound like everybody else, then that means our life has no impact on anybody for Christ. So the question is, is your life exposing the unfruitful works of darkness around you? Do people watch you and listen to you and say, there's a difference between you and me? Is there genuine joy in your life? Listen, when I see someone who has joy, when I'm around somebody I meet for the first time, they're a very joyous person, I say to myself, they might be a Christian. Because, because they don't complain. right? And they're just joyful. It's beaming. And nine out of ten times I'm right. right? And so, so is there genuine joy in your life, regardless of trials and hardships? And may it be that every child of God in this room is a continual exposer of sin. Well, Paul says that we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then he says, or adds in verse 12, for it is shameful, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now, when he says it is shameful to even speak of those things, I don't think he means that we can never talk about them because he himself is talking about them as he just named a bunch of them in verses 3 and 4. But rather, I believe what he is saying is we should not dwell on them or elaborate on them And we don't need to give the details about them. Why? Because it could arouse the desire or the curiosity of a saint. It could could be a temptation for them. So I can preach and teach and counsel about the sin of fornication, but I don't need to give the nitty-gritty details about it or to give the anatomy of it. We don't want to sensationalize sin or glamorize sin. This is why I tell those who are going to give their testimonies of salvation not to give explicit details of their sinful past. We get it. We know. Many years ago, I was hearing the testimonies of a young married couple who wanted to join Grace Baptist Church. And they told me things I really didn't need to hear. And they told me things that gave me visuals in my head that stayed with me way too long and was really unprofitable for me. So you can renounce things like pornography without giving the particulars of it. And you can reprove sexual immorality without sharing the specifics of it. Uh, And you can speak against homosexuality and lesbianism without being explicit about them either. One commentator said this. He said, some things are so vile that they should be discussed in as little detail as possible. And I believe it was Charles Hodge who said this. It is not necessary for the believer to perform an autopsy on a rotting corpse to expose its rottenness. So we should expose darkness. Secondly, why we should expose darkness. Verses 13 and 14. 
But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Well, the reason we should expose darkness is because that is the nature of light. The nature of light is that it exposes darkness. Listen, the reason a camel can go 15 days without a drop of water is because that is the nature of a camel. The reason an alpine swift bird can fly for six months without landing once is because that is the nature of an alpine swift bird. And the reason we expose darkness is because we are children of light and light exposes darkness. When I get into my car at nighttime and I turn on my headlight, my headlights, that exposes what is in front of me. That is the nature or the function of headlights, expose darkness. So then all things are exposed and made manifest by the light, which is the nature of light. Jesus said in John 3, verses 19 to 21, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So the very nature and presence of Jesus exposed the sin of men, and therefore some hated him, because the darkness hates the light, because it loves the works of darkness, and it hates when they're exposed. It's kind of like, I don't do gardening, my wife does, and so I have to help her. And, and you know when you pick up a big rock that's in the dirt for a while, and you pick it up, and, all of, and now it's in the light, and all of those little bugs under there, what are they doing? They're scurrying to get out of the light. Now the light exposes them. They like being in the dark underneath the rock. Well, the darkness hates the light. Men don't want the spotlight put on what they think or what they do or what they say. So then the only way, the only way the works of darkness are exposed or made manifest or made known or brought to the light is by the light. Darkness cannot expose darkness. Only light can. So what Paul is saying is, you are children of light. Therefore, you have to live who you are. You have to live as children of light in order for the darkness around you to be exposed. If you live like who you are, the inevitable result is darkness will be exposed. It will be made manifest. Now, some churches and some believers think, you, you, just, have to, you just have to be more like the world. You just have to imitate the world in order to reach the world. You know, you become more like them in order to sort of win them over and reach out to them. But that's a fallacy. You need to live like the light who you are. Live who you are. And that will expose the darkness. You see, the unbeliever isn't thinking about this sin. And this sin is no issue for them. He's okay with what he's doing. And it is his way of life. And you know that and I know that. And we were unsaved. We did not care. Until someone like you comes along And by your righteous and holy life and the words that you say and the fruit of the light that's coming out of you shines on them and exposes their sin and then they see it for what it is. Let me try to illustrate this for you. I live in New York City. I live in Queens and I drive my car all winter long in Queens where the streets are constantly salted because of the ice and snow. Therefore, my car is always plastered with that white film all over it. It's that salt film and it's on it all the time. But it doesn't bother me. And it doesn't bother me because everybody else's car has the same white film over it. But if I were to take that car in the middle of the winter and drive it down to Florida, where they do not salt their roads, 
They do not put salt on them because they don't get ice and snow. It might bother me because every other car will be clean of the white salty film all over it. And my car would stick out like a sore thumb. So the clean cars would expose my dirty car. And I can see the difference. And I know there's a difference. And I know I need to have what they have. So their cleanliness will expose my dirtiness to me. So then, the evil works of the wicked, which can can be concealed by them, will stand out when they are confronted by the righteous. Now, we would be unworthy to be called light if we did not bring to light what was in the darkness. You see, our new nature in Christ, who, who, who is the light which we reflect, is to reveal what's in the dark. But the reality is, when you are showing forth the light, you more often than not will upset people because you are showing them what they clearly are not uh, and then what they clearly are, which is darkness and spiritually dead. And, and, and that'll happen for the most part with a lot of people, but some of them, some of them will be drawn to the light that exposes them. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and Paul is in prison, and, 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 and the, the saints of Philippi were worried because the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, church planter, scripture writer, you know, evangelist extraordinaire, is locked up and he's chained up. And, and they're, they're afraid that, that the gospel's coming to a standstill. And Paul writes them a letter saying, no, things are going great here. The gospel is booming. It's hit the heart of Rome. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Don't be worried. Things are going forward. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, you need to know that Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7, for two years. And every six hour, another guard was chained to him. So he had, he had four, four guards a day, and it was about, but the chain was about three feet long. And God, and it seems that God brought some of these guards uh, who, who were the equivalent to would be like our Navy SEALs or special forces to, to the light, uh, through the life and the words of Paul. They heard Paul talk to visitors. They heard Paul dictate for epistles. They heard him share the gospel with others. And they saw his life. They had to see his life. They were right there. They saw his life. They saw a man full of love and compassion. They saw a man who was content and joyful in very trying circumstances. They saw a man who cared more about others than he did for himself. And they saw a man who prayed and prayed and prayed, fully trusting in the one he prayed to. And all of these things exposed their unfruitful works of darkness, and it seems that God was pleased to save some of them. And not only some of them, but Philippians 4.22 says, even some of Caesar's household. So everything is made manifest by the light. But if the light doesn't go on, things stay in the dark. But if the light does go on, then whatever it hits becomes visible. And I don't know if you ever thought this way about yourself, but it's true and terribly necessary uh, for the darkness all around you. Listen, the people at your job, they need, they need light to expose their dark hearts, and God has you there. God has you there. People in your family need, need light to expose their gloomy disposition. And God has you in that family. God has you there. The people on your block or in your building or in your classrooms, they need light to expose their wicked works. And God has you there. God has you there. 
Brothers and sisters, it's no mistake that you were there. It's no mistake that you were there. When I was saved for about four years, and I was gung-ho and wanting to live for Christ, and I still do, I was very troubled because the job I was at, the Marian job, uh, was very godless. And I thought to myself, how can I be around so many unsaved people all day long? It's not good. I need to be around Christians in order to do my job. So I went to a, uh, Pastor Gary Scott, who was the pastor of New Hyde Park Baptist Church, and I said, Gary, I don't think I could work at this job anymore. I said, yeah, I need money to live, but, you know, I mean, it, I think it's wrong that I work around all these unsaved people, and they're pretty godless. And he said to me, your job matters to God. Because you may be the only light there, Pete. You may be the only person that could ever share the gospel with them. He said, listen, you're not just there to make your daily bread, which God gives you. He said, but, but you're to be a living testimony in the light of Christ in a very dark place. Changed everything for me. Changed everything for me. And I saw a mission now. Yeah, I get a paycheck every two weeks, but now I saw a mission. I'm there for a reason. There are lost people. And believe you me, there were plenty of them. Well, Paul says in verse 14, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament, but the closest verse we find is in Isaiah 60, verse 1, where it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, there's a difference of opinion on who the you who sleep are. Some believe that they're unbelievers, so the you who sleep are the lost. Uh, And this verse is a call to be saved, to be spiritually awakened, to be brought to life. Others believe that the you who sleep are believers, i.e. the church, uh, who need to be stirred up to live for Christ. And I would agree with this latter uh, understanding. Which he's speaking to the church, partially because Isaiah 60, verse 1, is speaking, God is speaking to his people, not to the lost, and also because it seems the best fit in the context of Ephesians 5, uh, where he's talking to the saints. He's telling them what to do. Therefore, I believe Paul is saying, uh, what he's saying is, is because we are light, It is our task to be light wherever we are. And and if we put on the old man, which he dealt with in chapter 4, if we put on the old man on a dabbling in the darkness, uh, then we're not being light. And we need to wake up out of our sleep. So to encourage us not to slumber, not to bury our light under a bushel, Paul says, wake up. Wake up, stop being lulled to sleep by the darkness. Charles Spurgeon said, it is bad for us to sleep. Because it is quite certain that the enemy is awake. Now, what kinds of things can lull us to sleep? Well, many things. Worldliness. Ungodly entertainment. Too much entertainment. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The lust of the flesh. Listen, the lack of righteous anger over sin. We're commanded to have righteous anger. Again, chapter 4. Compromise with sin. The fear of man. And on and on and on. And Paul says, stop being put to sleep by the spiritually dead. Stop fellowshipping with the dead. And listen to how he says it in Romans 13. Please turn there with me. Romans 13. I want you to see it. Verses 11 to 14. He's talking to believers here. Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. He said, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, 
not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And to cast off the works of darkness is another way of saying, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He's saying the same thing. So the time is now to wake up, spiritually speaking. There are no Rip Van Winkles in the kingdom of God. There are no Rip Van Winkles in the kingdom of God. There should be no hibernating Christians. I'm just chilling out for the next six months. I'm going to take it easy, low-key. I don't want to see anybody. Divorce myself from everything going on. We don't hibernate. We don't sleep for 100 years. We don't do that. Time is now to get serious about living like who you are in Christ. Therefore, we should no longer be partakers with the wicked or identify with them or have fellowship with them. God doesn't save us to put us onto autopilot or to blend in with the world. No, he saved us to be light in the world and to expose darkness. Listen, he is using us. He's using us. He's sending out the sheep to the wolves because some of those wolves are going to be sheep one day. He's using us to... to to, to live like Christians and, and speak like Christians because some of those who are not Christians today, are gonna, he's going to save them and they're going to do the same thing. We are the tools that he uses to reach the lost. That's how he brings in his elect, through us. So stop walking like the Gentiles. Right? Stop engaging what they engage in. Stop living like them. Stop imitating them and wake up and start exposing sin. And if you do, there's a promise. And that is that Christ will give us light. Christ will give us light, Paul says. Light for what? Light to have a deeper sense in the beauty of Christ. Light to know God's will and his spirit to guide us in his way. Light to rejoice our hearts. Light to draw us closer into fellowship with him. So the promise is more light. More light from the light source. And, and how could that not be a delight to our souls, right? Don't we want more light? No, I want to stay dark. I want to keep it dim. No, more light, more light. Well, in closing, let me leave you with two words. And the first word is a word of encouragement. And that is that do you realize what an impact your life is making when you walk as a child of light? Do you realize that? I don't think most of us do. I know I don't. But do you realize when you walk as a child of light, your life is making an impact? Do you realize the effect your life has on those who you work with and those who you live around and those who you come in contact with? You are light in the Lord, and those in darkness can't help but notice you. And it may not seem like much is going on, and they may never say anything to you. Oh, guess what, Mike, man? Your light is killing me. Now I'm convicted. They're not going to say that most likely. They're not going to do that. But it's having an impact. But either way, they either be convinced and convicted by the light that you're bringing and drawn to it, or they're going to hate that light. And they're going to want nothing to do with that light. And then they're going to dismiss that light. But either way, when you walk as a child of light, they notice it. And guess what? God be the glory that he has taken you out of darkness and he has put you into the light of his son so you can shine for him. Listen, we take that Lord's table. We're saved. We're light, right? We're to walk in love. We're to walk worthy. We're to walk in light. Could have left us in darkness, brothers and sisters. He could have left us there. We didn't deserve to be put in. But out of love and mercy, for his great love, he saved us. The second word I'd like to leave with you is a word of warning. And to the Christian, the warning is don't be sleeping when you're to be laboring. 
Don't be sleeping when you ought to be laboring. Don't be comfortable and let your eyes get weary with the ways of darkness. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a dark room, in about three minutes, I'm sleeping. All right? I get lulled really easy. Don't let that happen to you, spiritually speaking. Because here's why. It brings shame on the gospel you love, and it takes glory from the Lord you love. And it shows that you really don't understand what it means to love your fellow man. For if we did, we wouldn't want our fellow man's, we would want our fellow man's life to be exposed by our life and by our words. So the question is, are you, are you sleeping today? Or are you sleepy? Are you sleepy or are you sleepy as a Christian this day? And listen, here's the remedy. It's actually the remedy for everything in the Christian life. Here's the remedy if you're sleepy or you're sleeping. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Remember the gospel. Remember what he did for you. It's very hard to gaze on Christ and to meditate on, on the cross and, and to not have, not have an effect on you. You know what I mean? It's very hard to really dwell on it and to just be like nonchalant, same old, same old. Dwell on Christ. Remember what it was like when you did and go back to that place. Lastly, a word of warning to my fellow man who is still an unbeliever. And there are many things you do and sins you commit which you think are in secret. And they are to me and to other men, but not to God. Psalm forty-four twenty-one says, For he, the Lord, knows the secrets of the heart. Paul said in Romans uh, 2.16 uh, that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And the reason he will judge your sins is because you are still dead in your sins. And you're not just sleeping, but you're dead concerning spiritual things and your heart is hard towards God and toward his son and toward his word. But, but the light has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ and, and, and he's come down into the darkness to shed the light of the glory of God into the hearts of sinners. And every sinner who looks to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and asks God to forgive them of their sins and trust in Christ's work and Christ alone will not only be exposed by the light, but they'll come to the light and God promises to make them a child of light. You've got to see yourself as a sinner and you've got to go to the Savior. Amen? May God have mercy on your souls. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the amazing gift of life. Thank you that, Lord, you have made us light in Christ, undeserved, unmerited, but yet freely given. I pray for the people of God, Lord, that we would, we would live who we are. We would not be ashamed of, of speaking for you, and we would not be ashamed of living for you. That, Lord, we would be zealous for holiness, zealous for your name, zealous for your glory. Lord, for the souls sitting here this day that may not be saved at all, thank you they're here. Thank you they come under the hearing of the word of God. And Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would drive them to the cross. Show them there's no hope uh, in this world or its systems or in themselves. Uh, but Lord, there is, there is the light that's come into this world that can not only expose them, but take them out of darkness and bring them into the light of Christ. Please have mercy on their souls for your sake. Amen. <laughs>